Welcome to the June 9th, 2022 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. And uh, does anyone particularly want to go first? We have a tradition, sort of, kind of, of Roger no, I, going but, first. But, but, but I, 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 if I Alan, you want to go? No, no, I, I don't want to go first. I was going to say, I, I'm going to mute myself, and I'm going to try to call Sherry just to see if we... Okay. It, 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 oh, okay. Uh, All okay, right, cool. So, so, so I, I'll, I'll, be back, I'll be back in a second. So, uh, All uh, right. rock and roll. Okay. Oh, I can go first if you want. All right, Martin, if you want, sure. I started. You know, I, I decided to check out those those new recordings, those human recording, voice recordings on Bookshare, and I oh. and I chose a book <laughs> which I did not stick with called "The Massacre of Mankind," and it's a sequel to H H B H G Wells. <coughs> War of the Worlds, you know, with the Martian invasion, but the the narrator was had such such a strong English accent <laughs> that I really could. I, I I read it for about two hours and I gave up and and deleted it. So all right, I just thought I mentioned that. But the book I'm going to briefly talk about is a book called Any Sign of Life by Ray Car Carlson. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it or not. Nope. It was a very. It's sort of like a, a, a book for young adults. It, it start. It, the main character is a young girl named Paige, and it starts out when she wakes up from a coma, and she, she appears to be the only person alive. Um, all around them, there are dead people all over the place, and and it, she starts, you know, trying to survive and going around her neighborhood, and there's a lot of crows all over the place. Mm. on the dead bodies and everything. Oh, dear. And, and eventually she comes upon another person that, uh, who turned out to be an, a black guy who turned out to be an athlete in school and they bond together. And then they find other people. It turns out that these aliens have come and they want to, they, they, they're called farmers and they want to take over the planet Earth for themselves. And they, I don't re remember exactly how they did it, but they injected a virus into all, all humanity and it was triggered to go off at a certain time. And that's what caused the, ma the mass die-off of, of just about everybody. There mm. were a few people who survived. And it turns out that they contacted someone and there were some, some of the aliens weren't in agreement that they should destroy humanity. So they were helping out, giving some advice on how to fight against it. And the rest of the book basically is how they're trying to survive, and they have, and they find that they, these aliens are using a tower that's in a bomb of, of Lake Erie that comes out every day and injects gas into the atmosphere because they want to change the atmosphere to, to be more suitable to to them. And, and the aliens that have come are just a few scouting for the rest of them that are going to come come later, and they have different adventures trying to get away from the, the aliens. The aliens have these super weapons that disintegrate people and they and they fly around in these silver dragonfly type sh ships hunting hunting the, the few human beings that are left but after a lot of venture in which some of their members are killed they eventually destroy the tower quite exciting towards the end and uh, that causes the uh, effects on the on the atmosphere to, to disappear and and the blue sky comes back and everything. And it, it ends by saying, let's go in search of humanity. You think he could have written another sequel, but it uh, doesn't appear that he did. But I found it to be very, very good and 
exciting book. Very good dialogue uh, with the, uh, the the characters. Who wrote that? His name is Ray Carlson. Ray Carlson. I uh, have couldn't help it. I was thinking, as you were describing that, I was thinking that Liz Lindsay would probably like that book. Because she tends to bring books that are like plagues and you know, humanities, you know, mostly wiped out and stuff like that. I tease her about it a little bit, but that sounds like the kind of thing she might like. Anyway, it sounds interesting. Now, where'd you get that from? Lombard. In fact, I can give you, if you want the ID number, I have it right here. Well, if you have it, sure. People might want it. I don't usually, I just usually search by titles, but uh, some people like to get the number. So if you have it, um, it's called, it's we'll called, put it on the recording here. It's called Sign of Life. Any sign of life. Life. DB100 space. DB10. DB10. 581. 581. 518815. Right. Sounds like. Yeah, it was, it was very right. exciting. I, 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 All right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, some people will definitely, I, I think it sounds interesting. Maybe Lucy and I might, might tackle it. Um, we did. Uh, we've done a few from the group here so far. Two or We're three. Look forget. at that one that I called. What was that one about the dead taking over in the, in, in, the, uh, in computers and everything? Um, gee, I forget the name of it now. <laughs> it is the something dead. that's people interested in looking at. A couple. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Reported on a couple. Was weeks. that the the uh, G- Gene Wolf? No, no, it wasn't them. Oh, okay. No, I don't, I'm trying to remember what it was called now. And I can't. I can't remember, but it, it was about the, the dead going up and being in a mainframe computer and taking over the, you know, look at the, the uploaded. That's the one. That was the one. Yeah, that was right. the one. Yeah, I have that on my SD card. I just haven't got to it yet. Right. Um, but, um, well, Roger, you often go first. And do you want to go second? Please. I, I can go second. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, I I didn't get Sh- Sherry's not at home, so apparently oh, okay. she must she must be out tonight. So all righty, okay. <laughs> I bring you Lear's daughters. That's L E A R apostrophe S daughters by Marjorie B Kellogg. It is from Bard. I'm sorry, I don't remember the DB number except that it starts with six seven. Sorry. I found most of the information about the book that I found that was interesting. I found on Goodreads. This book has uh, about 65 Goodreads ratings. That means it's a rather obscure book. And with a low number of ratings like that, you would expect that it might be an indie. But it's not an indie. It was published by Dahl. And it is very professionally written as to why it's so obscure. I don't know. But according to Goodreads, this was originally published in 1986 and spent years out of print. And then the author rewrote the book and published it again in 2009. According to Goodreads, she updated it for the 21st century. What I think is meant by that is that this is one of those very pro-environmentalist books. And in 1986, even though global warming was known about and it was a concern, 
it was not as big a concern as it became when the 21st century got here. And it was apparently updated to include concerns about global warming. And now I will say this, I think that this might be a retelling of William Shakespeare's King Lear, but I'm not sure. If I read King Lear, and I think I very well might have, it would have been many years ago, and I have no memory of what it was even about, because frankly, if you want me to name what I think the epitome of boring is, that would be William Shakespeare. So I really don't retell that, but I know that the book is divided into sections called books, that is book one, book two, book three, etc. And at the beginning of each of these sections is a Shakespeare quotation, and everyone comes from King Lear. Um, so at least there are some pretty strong allusions here to King Lear, even in the title. Um, as for daughters, Lear's daughters, I think that might refer to the fact that all the main characters are female. Uh, men are, I wouldn't exactly say they're all minor characters, but they're at least secondary. And the very main character of all is a woman by the name of Megan. Now, the premise is that Earth is in environmental collapse. None of the story takes place on Earth, but it's referred to. Apparently, back on Earth, there are these walled enclaves where very rich people are still living in luxury, while outside of the walls, you have environmental collapse and not necessarily all that many people anymore because most of them are starved to death. But um, the people who do live outside the walls live in squalor, and there appears to have been a mass extinction and so on, and all because the people within the walls um, are interested only in profit, and they have always put their own profit first and foremost and destroyed the earth in the process. But at the same time, Earth has achieved interstellar travel and has colonies out on other words, worlds. This story takes place on one of them. Forget the name of the planet. They don't refer to the name all that often, but it was a one-syllable word. I remember that. And um, the it has intelligent inhabitants, and they are called saws. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. Since this came from Bard, I don't know the spelling. I know of two spellings. One is S-O-L, which refers to, well, Earth's sun. And the other is S-A-U-L, which is a given name, especially popular among Jews. But um, I don't know which which way this is spelled, if either way, but the native inhabitants are called In any case, Megan is kind of an environmental activist. 
The problem is that these big companies back on Earth, not only have they practically destroyed Earth, but now they haven't learned their lesson. They want to go to other planets and uh, mine and exploit and sell on all the other planets for more profit. The already rich people want to get even richer. And, of course, this planet with where the saws live, um, they want to pretty much exploit all the environment there for their own profit, too. And Megan is rather upset about this. Now, interesting thing about the saws, they appear to be a primitive people, uh, low-technology people. They, in fact, live in caves. Now, the Earth people came there and just assumed that they were very primitive, low-technology people, and they haven't really made an effort to look inside their caves or anything. I think it's mainly because, well, you know, that's their homes. They don't want to invade their privacy until maybe they find a cave uh, where they could mine something and make a big profit off of it, possibly. But in any case, Megan does befriend them and ends up being invited into the caves. And these apparently very low-technology primitive people seem to have things that you wouldn't expect. For example, here is a lamp on the wall where a flame is burning, and it provides both heat and light. And she is astounded because she didn't think they had the technology to have something like that. And she examines it, and there's kind of a tube running from it. And she expects it to go to a reservoir where they would keep oil. She thinks it's an oil lamp. But no, it just kind of goes back into the cave and back into the rock. And she can't figure that out. Um, as it turns out, these saws have gas lights, gas lights and gas heating. And that's what she's come across. Furthermore, it turns out that they have running water. Now, how is it that these primitive people have running water? She investigates this and finds that, yes, the pipes carrying the running water run to what turns out to be an enormous reservoir of fresh water. And what astounds her, you know, that's not unusually high technology. It was much higher than she expected for them. The problem is such a reservoir of water could not have been built without a really big technological infrastructure. So, as time goes on, she's figuring out more and more about them. There had been, up to that point, a lot of discussion about the Saul's religion. She begins to realize that this wasn't a religion at all. It was their memories of, um, of a former existence where the Saul's actually were a very highly advanced 
technological people on the planet appeared to have given up their technology because it was destroying their environment and to protect their environment they gave up the technology and now the memories of it exist in the form of what she and all the other earth people had thought was their religion but it turns out not to really be a religion at all and as they investigate further and further they find well a lot of that forgotten technology that she thought they were um, explaining only in religious terms because they had forgotten that all about they haven't forgotten that much after all for example in what she assumed to be their religion were the three sisters which she assumed to be goddesses well it turns out that the three sisters are not goddesses they are weather control machines that, by the way, are still operating. And now she knows why the weather is so pleasant over the whole planet, because it's being controlled. Furthermore, she finds more and more things that the saws are actually using that are high in technology. And what it comes down to is they haven't really given up their technology at all. They just um, used it differently so as to protect their environment. Now, I'm still reading this. This is a 29 hour and so many minutes, almost 30 hours long. I've got about three or four hours left in it. And I think I see where this is going. I can't be for sure yet, but I think that this is going to be sending a message that it is possible to have a high technology and still live in harmony with your environment because the saws have done exactly that. But I'm still reading it, so we'll see. So and what's it called? there again? you have it. What's the name again of the book? Please. The name is... Lear's Daughters. That's Lear as in King Lear. And like I said, I suspect that it's in retelling of King Lear, but I don't really know that for sure. And you got it on Bard or Bookshare? Bard. Okay. Bard. Yeah, it's one, wow, it's long. Yeah, but if it's good, I like long books if they're good. I'm like you if they're good, the longer the better. Thanks. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, like I said, it has only 65 ratings on Goodreads. That means it's really obscure. And it's, if the book is that long, I think it's 700 and some pages long, but nearly 30 hours long. If it's that long, just think how much work the author put in it. By the way, this was a rewriting too. It's already right. written it once and then wrote it another. Think how much work she put in it for hardly anybody to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a lot of work. And how did you find it, Roger? Uh, just browsing through Bard. Uh, okay. He's looking for science fiction books and came across that one. Wow. Yeah, those are fun. Those can be fun. Uh, though this one sounds like it might be a bit preachy, but maybe not. Um but those are fun when you find these alien races that aren't as primitive as they seem. 
those can be those can be fun because you know um, especially when you get these people who want to exploit them mm. it always feels good to you know get people like that stopped um, um hmm. who wants to be next I'll go next okay Alan yeah because you're uh, not here that often and uh, yeah, and, and and I apologize because because what I'm going to talk about has some some uh, aspects of fantasy, but uh, slash science fiction because it's a uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's a three for one kind of deal because it's uh, it, it's and and Stephen King is got his name as one of the authors, although I really think Stephen King came up with the initial idea. And this other guy, Richard Chismar, C H I mean C H I Z M A R, really oh, did most of it's most the new of the writing. It's the new one. Yeah, yeah, and and, Ooh, and I and, wanted to read that. Yeah, and there's like three books. They're all on Bard. They're the not first long. one's yeah. The first one's called Wendy's Button Box. G W. It's like a combination of Gwendolyn and Wendy. G W E N D Y apostrophe S. Wendy's Button Box. And I can go back and give you the DB numbers if you want. It's only two hours and change. It's a, it's a fairly short book. The second one's called Wendy's Magic Feather. And the final one, which is, uh, and, and Wendy's Magic Feather is like four hours and change. And then Wendy's Final Task is seven hours and change. But the the, the third one it really does have some science fiction thing because it's, it's, and let's just, I'll just give you some, some background. In the first book, Wendy's Button Box, she's like 11 or 12 years old. She gets visited by this gentleman. And and you never really know where this... I, I get the feeling this gentleman is probably from another planet, probably, uh, ultimately. But he, he's not of this world. But he's got this little box. And he gives it to her. And it's been a while since I've read Wendy's Button Box. But... Uh, it, it, it's got some buttons on the top of it. It's got two levers on either side of it. And the buttons on top of it, there's, there's a different colored button for each of the major con continents of the country. And there's also a red button and a black button. And the red button, as I recall, if you press that, you can kind of in, in interject your own recompense on somebody i mean if you press that button you can kind of get a wish i think or the, the black button is like if you press that the world is in all the worlds everywhere are all in and trauma ensues and stuff or so chaos ensues but uh it, you know it's been a while since i read the i, I read the the uh wendy's magic feather it came out, you know, a, a few months ago, and then the final task came out just recently. So, uh, like I said, it's got some fantasy in it, but uh, in, in this, I, I'll talk mostly about this, this this last part. That's the one I just finished. Wendy's final task. She is sent on a on a. Uh, she's a senator at this point. She's like sixty four years old. She's got early onset Alzheimer's, so the, the, the things aren't looking great for her. But it, it, the character is really well done. I really like the character because she's a, she's a good person. 
She does the right thing. And then Wendy's magic feather, she's like a, a, a member of Congress. And so uh, the, the character is really good trying to do the right thing. What I like about Wendy's final task is it, it, it kind of pokes fun at Bezos and all these billionaires that are going into space. Because there, there's a rich guy that's uh, uh, the, uh, in this last part, this Wendy's final task, she's on a space mission with a group of other people. They're going to like a uh, uh, what, what, the space station where, 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 work, where work is done. They're, they're being sent up there. And and the, 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 there's this billionaire guy on on, on the uh, uh, that's on the crew with them, and he's an asshole. I mean, that's just the long and the short of it. Yeah, he he he's up to no good, and he's actually been approached by some aliens, I think, to to get this button box from Wendy. And Wendy's Wendy's mission is to send the button box into space, where it'll it'll never be bothered again that people won't be able to press this black button so that that that's what she's tasked with to get rid of the button box and 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 that's what she's trying to do and th this billionaire guy is uh is trying to to to, to get it for some from aliens that want the want want her want the, the black button to be pressed so that all chaos will ensue so it, i mean it's a good story. I'm, I'm, I'm making a pig's breakfast trying to explain it and stuff, and I apologize for that. But it, it, it really is a good story. I mean, if you, if you, I think Stephen King came up with the the initial idea, and I think I think Chismar approached him and said, "Let let, let, let me take this story and run with it and stuff." Because King King had sold on the idea and stuff, and and he got Chismar to to write to write the the stories, and he really does a good job telling a good it's a good story it really has got a good tale and uh, uh, uh wendy is trying to take this this button box and uh, uh send it out into space where where it can't do any more harm and stuff but it's, it's really kind of cool because uh th this guy that approaches her i can't remember the guy's name that that brought her to the box originally uh and brings it around to her again he had taken it to some other people uh, trying to find somebody that can manage it. And one of the people that he took it to pressed one of the buttons and, and it caused the, uh, the, the, the COVID-19, the, the coronavirus outbreak and stuff. So they, they, they tie that into the story and they do a good job tying that into the story and stuff. So, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of giving a lot of, a lot of plot away and stuff, but uh, all, all three of the stories are really well done. I, I, I think you'll 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 like them and stuff. So, uh, especially if you like the way Stephen King S Stephen King can tell a good story, and then Ch Chismar does a good job too. And it's it, it, it's uh, uh, and, and I apologize to the Senate. It, it has more science fiction in, in Wendy's final task because, like I said, they're they're on a space mission, and uh, she's trying to get rid of the, get rid of the box out of space and stuff. So. But uh, well, those are probably uh, going to be popular. If yeah, uh, yeah. If for no other reason than King's name is associated with them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right, right. Can and, I tell you yeah. about a story that reminded me of? What's that? I read a story once that I don't remember the title of it, and I don't remember the author of it. I think it was in some anthology that I came across. Mm -hmm. But a young couple is approached by this mysterious man who gives them a box. And he tells them, 
if you don't open this box, nothing is going to happen, and I'll just show up in about a week to collect the box. If you do open the box, you will get a million dollars. But someone you have never met and who you don't know will die. So he leaves them with the box, and they're just like, hemming and hawing about whether they should open it or not and they're so worried they don't want somebody to die because of them but then right. they think well this guy's full of bullshit and yeah. they finally decided to open the box and they open the box and it's empty and next day he shows up again and says sorry I took so long to get here sorry I took a whole day to get back to you to bring your million dollars but last person who possessed the box had already spent so much of his million dollars that I had to get together the rest of the money so I'd have a million dollars for you. Um, here's your million dollars, and now I'm going to take the box to the next person who gets it. Huh. <laughs> well, yeah, well... I, You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's one thing that's nice about this because th th this little foot, this box, in addition to the red, you know, the colored buttons that are on top of the thing, it's got a handle on either side of it. And if you pull one of the handles, uh, like a silver dollar will come out, like a, a, a late 1800 silver dollar will come out. And the other one gives you a chocolate that comes out of its shape like some kind of animal. And it's supposed to be the best tasting chocolate ever. So, you know, it. It's, it's it's really got some clever kind of stuff in it, and uh, 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 and also one of the clever clever things in this last one, Mindy's final test. One of her crew members is an Indian uh, an Indian scientist who's like a bug guy who specializes in insects. So he is a really good character and stuff, a, a really good guy, and is well well written stuff. So mm. I, I I I really recommend this stuff. I mean. I mean, if you like Stephen King stories or this Richard Chismar stories, they're they're very, it's not a big investment in time. All, all three of the books are like uh, like two and a half, four and a half, like you know, fourteen hours and change to read all, all three of the books. Are they all together? Or are they all? Separate? No, 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 no. They're separate. They're separate. If you want the DB oh, numbers, I can get them here. Let's see the. That's up to you. Uh, the people like some people like them though. Uh, right. So Let's I'm see. not That's avert. You know, I would put them on the recording. Uh, if you have them, but if it takes okay, right a long here. time to yeah, search, you know, want to, so, I've got yeah. them right here. Let's see. Wendy's button box, the first one. Let's see. 88,221 is Wendy's button box. That's the first one. And the second one is Wendy's magic feather. Let's see. 103136 yeah and then Wendy's final task is 107440 all right yeah some people seem to like them so yeah yeah I noticed though that each one gets substantially longer than the previous one I wonder if he keeps that up you're going to have some, some chunky books before too long. Well, th th this is the final one, I think. And I, oh, is whether it? Yeah, whether Audible has one in, in addition to these three, I'm not sure. But originally, I thought there were more than three of them. But Barr's mm -hmm. got these three, and I think they're all the commercial versions. And, and, the, and the, the narration's good. And, and like mm -hmm. I said, they're, they're, they're good stories. So thanks Great. for letting me 
Thanks for letting oh, me sure. share. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. there will be people listening. And I don't remember how many people listen. I think it was a pretty substantial number. I right. thought I heard once, but I don't remember now. Um, okay. And I was going to say. people will I, definitely be into it, though. Right. I got a text from Sherry. She's kicking us to the curb. She decided yeah, to, I, to I watch. Did, the, uh, yeah, the I, hear, I, the I did as well. She's she's riveted by the hearings. That's yeah, I, right, I, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Michelle, you want to. Sherry is a big political uh, junkie. So I'm not right, right. Mm. Well, first, Alan, I love that expression, making a pig's breakfast. I'm going to remember that one. That's uh, very- that, uh, is that, that, that worse? Is that worse than a dog's dinner or, or uh, not I, as bad? I, yeah, I'm not sure. Like you got to give th- that credit goes to Christopher Buckley in a book called Little Green Men. That's where that oh, came really? from. So, yeah, yeah. So that, that's his. But uh, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's really good. That's a good. I've never heard that before, and I thought that was great. Yeah, I like uh, it too. It's just stuck with me too. So, um, yeah. Do you want to tell us about something, yeah. Michelle? Or sure, I'd be happy to. All um, right. So this book is actually was recommended to me by Sherry, so I'm not. I'm, I wish she was here because I'm sure she'd have some stuff to talk about too. It's called "Before the Coffee Gets Cold," and the author's name is. I'm going to spell it because I'm going to mess it up. He's a Japanese author. It's T O S H I K A Z U. Toshikazu, and the last name is uh, K-A-W-A-G-U-C-H-I, Kawaguchi. Yep. Um, I don't know I'm not sure who the translator is, but I know the book came out in about 2015, and there's actually a sequel as well. Um, And it's on Bard. Uh, I will give you the number. It's 102... 743 and it was it was really it was both um sort of delightful and kind of funny at the same time and i I really liked it it's a short book it's about six hours it's divided up into four sections which are basically four separate stories and um they all what, what happens is they all revolve around this little tiny japanese cafe which which if you go into the cafe, it's sort of a secret that you can time travel. But when you time travel, there's very specific rules about time traveling. So the cafe only has nine seats. And in order to time travel, you can only sit in this one particular seat. And there's a woman who sits in the seat all day long and never moves except one time she goes to the bathroom every day. So if you want to time travel, you basically have to sit there and you have to wait for her to, to go to the facilities and then you can sit in her seat. And she gets very testy if you ask her to move. Um, and if you time travel, you can only time travel and meet somebody who's also has been at the cafe at some point in their life. And then the last rule is the length of the time of the time travel, which is where the title comes in. So when you're about to time travel, somehow the staff knows this and they serve you a cup of coffee and you can only time travel for as long as the coffee stays warm. And once the coffee goes cold, you have to come back. And when you time travel, you're not allowed to change the present, but the implication if you read the stories is you somehow can change the future. Um, so the first story 
deals with this um it's probably it's it's probably the lightest i think of all the stories it's about this young woman who had a boyfriend and he went off to america and she feels really bad about it and she wants him you know she she kind of wants him back so she wants to go back in time and talk to him and but she knows that she can't get him to change his behavior so it sort of goes what happens is she goes back in time she talks to him and then you sort of see where it goes from there and then the other stories are a little bit more serious. Um, one of them deals with two sisters um, who have a, a sort of a family conflict. And then another story, which was very touching, was a story about a woman um, whose um, husband had dementia. And she wanted to go back and talk to him before he had dementia. And then the last story also was, was very touching. It was a story about a woman who had a very serious disease and she was pregnant and she, she gave birth and she died and she wanted to go back in time. I'm sorry. She wanted to go ahead in time, not back in time, ahead in time so that she could meet her child who she had never met before. Um, so it was, it was actually a really nice book. Sherry had told me about it. Um, yeah. I liked travel. She and, likes time travel too. Yeah. She, I, I, yeah. She likes time. And I like time out oh. travel too. Um, and, I think what was nice about these stories was they were really very relatable. Um, they were very touching. There was definitely some humor in this book. Um, and um, it, it was very well written, actually. So there's a sequel whose name is escaping me, but I, I probably at some point will read that sequel. So Before the uh, tea gets cold? Something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> the hot chocolate? And the next one will be hot chocolate. <laughs> like that. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed the book. So I, I would recommend it. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, there's all kinds of people out there. And there's all kinds of, it's a huge, huge landscape, science fiction is. And, uh, but I can't imagine the coffee would stay warm very long. If this is a Japanese restaurant, it's not going to be a very big cup. Um, you need to bring a thermos, you know. That way you can get a really good long time travel trip in. Yes. They did seem to accomplish quite a bit during their mm -hmm. time traveling. Although I agree with you. I, you wouldn't think it would be very much time, but it was, it was, they were very. Yeah. But it was, it sounds, it sounds like a good, you know, Michelle, if you like time travel books. Okay. Let me urge you to read the man who folded himself. I knew it. I knew because he's mentioned this a few times before. Yeah, right, well, right. Maybe that'll be my book for next month. That's great. Who wrote that? Uh, was it David Gerald? Who wrote that? Face. Yeah, David Gerald. That the was it. Yeah. Folded himself by David Gerald. My all-time favorite time travel book. Thank you. Thank you for the recommendation. Do you know if it's on board? Face. Um. I can look I, I something I don't remember. I think I think it is. Oh, well, let's put it this way. I'll I look it up real quick. A long time ago from the NLS, and I think that they have converted everything for now. So yeah, it probably is. The man okay. who folded I, himself? I, is that the name I of it? That's it. Okay. That's see. it. Go. All right. Did <laughs> okay. I cut this part out or just leave it in? The man who folded himself. Here it is. Yeah, he's got it. Yep. All right. Well, now I'll leave this part in because 
it's going to show. It's on, it's on bars? It's okay. On bars. Yeah, yeah, let me give you the yes, maybe number. said it was. Oh, oh, good. Well, now I don't have to search for a book for next month. I'm all set now. <laughs> DB0. Let's see. 0980. Wow. Okay. That so, is old. Yeah, that's wow. old. And, and that sounds like it's from the 70s. Let me Three hours, 47 minutes. Not very long. Yeah. Okay. Not too long. Once once there was a special accessible world discussion, just especially for time travel books. And I did show up to that and discuss that one. Yep. And I believe it was um, uh, Alan said that that sounded so weird he couldn't wrap his head around it. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, doesn't the man have sex with him or something? Am I remembering something about that? I mean, uh, it has no, yeah. nothing I, explicit or, about it, but there was something where he was going, where a future self was about to have sex with a past self when another okay. self pops into existence and says, Now hold on, if you do this, this is going to change the rest of your life. <laughs> okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't know why it is that that's what stuck with me, but hey, there you go. We won't comment on that. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's why. That's how it stuck with you. You were definitely focused on it. Not be focused. Yeah. My internet connection is unstable. <laughs> my, my, uh, is David? Uh, David, are you still here? He always has interesting things. I'm here. Wait, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can hear All you right. very well. I was going to say very quickly for time travel books, Jack Finney's Time and Again and From Time to Time are considered classics in that field. I believe Stephen King mentions Jack Finney's Time and Again in one of yeah. the afterwards of one of his books. They're, he more, does. His, they're more historic <laughs> fiction, though. My book is, is simple. It was the one I was going to mention last month, but I wasn't able to make it. The book is called... Cold the Night, Fast the Wolves by Meg Long. The number is DB106785. It's basically a science fiction Iditarod. They're on a, um, an ice planet, and every, I believe it's every year for a brief period, they open up part of the planet because exocarbon is the mineral everybody wants to mine. And to, to get to it, you have to, you have your sled equipped. And you have these hybrid wolves pulling your sled. The main character is Senna. She's a young woman who lives on the outskirts of the main city. And she needs money because she's been orphaned. Her mother and mother's partner, like five years before, had gone out to mine exocarbon and never returned. They had been um, lost or killed in that endeavor. Anyway, to get money... She and her team are going to go and try to mine exocarbon. And the book tells you, it's basically, like I said, the bulk of the book is a sled journey across an ice planet. It's the hurdles she has to overcome, the people who betray her that she has to outsmart, and, and, how, the, um, and how she resolves the crisis it's an interesting book i think it's more for high school and older readers but it was an interest it was sci-fi in that the setting was a different planet they did have some technology and at the end of the book she may go off planet because this planet she's on is one of these sort of um planets that are not part of a 
a government st structure, but are sort of owned by a corporation where money talks. And it, it seemed like they were setting it up for a sequel. So it's a fun little read. If anybody wants something sci-fi, but not too complicated or strange, I would recommend it. It would be good for right. younger people, okay. especially. All right. Yeah. What is it called again? Huh? What's it called again? Uh, the what title? was it called again? The title was seemed to... One moment. The title, Cold the Night, Fast the Wolves. By Colton, uh, Meg, Meg Long, DB one hundred six seven eight five. Okay, yeah, the Arthur C. Clarke's "The Wind from the Sun" was kind of a race too, also a racing kind of thing in space. Only they were using solar sails. Um, well, I haven't read anything that you guys can get. Um, um, I should explain, uh, I scanned a book for Bookshare that Lissy and I are proofreading, and we're about halfway through it, uh, but she wanted me to tell you about it. I actually don't like doing telling people about books they can't read, um, but it'll be on Bookshare in a couple weeks and or, or a week or so. It's yeah. called The Eden Cycle by Raymond Z. Gallen, who, at least according to the introduction, to the best of Raymond Z. Gallon, which was on Bookshare, and I made a quality report about it, and they're going to rescan it. He was quite, he had quite a reputation in the golden age, you know, the 30s and 40s and wow. 50s, but I'd never heard of him. Um, but I heard about this book on a mailing list years ago, and it's about uh, Earth, and you don't learn this right away, except you, you learn a very sketchy, you know, there's a very sketchy synopsis on the back cover, but you'd only learn about it gradually through, you know, later on in the book, these earth receives these alien signals that tell them how to build basically what are, what you would call virtual reality uh, sets. Um, only they're very much more lifelike because, you know, they connect directly into the brain. And, um, and so it's, uh, you can live any life you want. You can do pretty much whatever you want. And, you know, you can remember or you can forget, you know, you can forget that you're part of a simulation. And so, and it talks about more and more people adopting this, you know, um, VR. And it, it talks a little bit about the motivations of the aliens um, to kind of, you know, make, the, if, if everybody's in a simulation, they're not messing around in the real universe and they're keeping, you know, they're, they're uh, keeping quiet. Um, but it's also, it's, it's, it's more of a philosophical science fiction novel. It's not, it's not a, well, there's action in it, but it's not action, you know, of, of, a, of a kind of a plot. It's more, you know, he lives these various simulations and then he talks about how the, you know, and then he discovers where he is, um, in the real world and he has a, and, and I wanted to read it with Lissy partly because there's, it there's a couple there's these people that keep getting together you know and finding each other in the simulations and they remember who they are and so on and and i think and i don't know because as i said we're only about halfway through but i think the book is about you know asking the questions you know is there meaning if you can do whatever you want whether it's real or not you know if it feels just like reality is it re you know that kind of thing um, so, but I'll have to let you know next month when I finished it, 
but it'll be on Bookshare by then. And uh, this was written back in 1974. I think that's near the end of his uh, career. If he was, if he was uh, influential in the thirties and forties, but, um, but I heard about it on a mailing list because there are actually people out there, David, I'm sure you heard about them. And I'm sure some of you have that actually believe that we are living in a simulation only it's not, you know, we, we aren't necessarily in a vat or somewhere, you know, being hooked up to, you know, being hooked up by wires, you know, into our, you know, into the brain, but, you know, that the whole universe is a simulation by some hacker in a higher, you know, level universe. Scary. Um, <laughs> but, you know, well, there are actually people who believe that. I've um, read that. Seriously. But the, sim- the simulation known as me, if it crossed the street and got hit by the simulation known as car, would end up in the simulation known as hospital. So, yeah, and, and, I don't and, feel very digital. And as li- <laughs> well, if if it's a good enough simulation, you wouldn't. Um, but I and Lissy mentioned this too, and I and I'm thinking the same thing. You'd have to be kind of pretty masochistic to want to simulate the Earth, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, I can't imagine. But there are people who take it very seriously. But he's asking a different question. I think he's asking, you know. Is there meaning in it or, you know, hmm. is it, a, you know, uh, but I don't know. I'll, we'll find out as it goes along and I'll tell you more about it next month. And I'll write to the list when it gets on Bookshare. Um, so that's what we're reading right now, though, the Eden cycle by, and but there's nowhere to get it. It's not on Bard. It's not on Bookshare. It, I, pro- I never checked Audible, but I doubt if it's up there. It could be, I suppose. Um, but I wouldn't know. Um, so that's it. That's all I can tell you right now. So how long, of, how, how long of a book is, is it? Oh, it's uh, about 232 back, uh, har, um, mass market paperback size pages. So okay, it's not so really it's very not a, long. Not overly long. Okay. Nice. No, it's not overly long. It's, it, okay. it, you know, science fiction novels weren't the big chunksters that a lot of them, many of them are now. Right, right. Uh, back in the 70s and 60s, most novels were not very long. And they were in um, paperback a lot of times before they ever came out in hardback. Well, okay. that's but true. I, yeah, that's uh, I heard. a lot of them because it was so cheap. It was much cheaper to put them and out that, that way. That genre was looked down upon by top flight editors and different people. It was seen as sort of gauche because when I read in Isaac Asimov, I think it was one of his autobiographies in memory yet green or enjoy still felt people wondered why, you know, he had a PhD in biochemistry, but he decided to write SF and a lot of people didn't understand why would you do that? Um, you know, because that was seen as rather juvenile, especially in, I think the forties and fifties, I believe SF goes into a silver age in the eight seventies when more women entered the genre and were writing more novels about different social conditions as opposed to more hard science, but I could be wrong. No, well, you know, there'll there'll always be people who are snobs, but it did get more literary, you know, actually started in the sixties, probably with the new wave. You know, okay. people wanted a more with J.G. Ballard and Norman Spinrad and and uh, Brian Heinlein was and, writing in the 60s. Stranger in a Strange Land was a cult classic, I believe. Oh, yeah, it was. I really liked the first half of that novel. The second half, I wasn't quite it. as thrilled. Oh. But the first half was really good because he kind of got into the psychology because this guy grew up. He was raised, you know, by Martians. And, you know, he had a different psychology and, you know, he had 
he had a lot of control over his I, metabolism. And I kept wanting to read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress because I love the title, it, but it's done in a very slangy dialect and I haven't gotten around to it. Um, I don't remember. I just remember Robert Donnelly read it and I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, you're right. It's written a bit in a, in a style. Kind of like a, uh, Clockwork Orange. You had to learn some of the vocabulary. It's basically a political saying. novel about the moon gaining its independence they start That's throwing right. rocks at earth and Ooh. basically <laughs> they've got a computer named mycroft who was sherlock oh. holmes brother and wow. um so uh that's it's you know he was very uh libertarian and his you know or right wing or something he was but um, a lot of his books have the sort of sexual antics of a teenager you know the worst book i ever attempted was by him oh, i really? never finished it what it was called i was it shall or will, shall fear no evil? Yeah, I, I will fear I, no evil. That was weird. Was I, I read it. Worst I liked book it. I ever tried. I liked it's it about, when I was a teen. Then for I the didn't. people who don't know, I will just mention briefly. It's about a guy who gets his, he's about to die. Right. And he gets his brain transplanted into the body of his secret, female Eunice. secretary. Yes, and it's how they get along. And his name is Johann Sebastian Bach Smith. I mean, it's just the name. It's like, very what do you take us name. for anyway? Um, I mean, it's like, I don't care if you think that's hokey or not. You know, it's like. I just thought it was I funny. Could the way they get through, I could not other. get through it. I thought I it was couldn't funny. get through it. I stopped about, what was it? About a quarter of the way or third. I don't really? even know how far I got. I thought yeah. it was funny. Well, um, Gordon uh, Gould did an interesting job oh, reading it. Yes, Gordon Gould. Well, Gordon of Gould all could people, make just uh, yeah, of all people, giving. Oh, he was he was one of the top readers he was, of all time in his day. <laughs> oh, he was. And Friday, another book by Heinlein was cutesy pie to me in that same sort of way. He can he did that sort of cutesy pie thing to me. That sort of adolescent sexuality thing though, though i don't know I, I i want some more i want more of a sense of wonder and he, yeah, he didn't, didn't have a, a, no. a the just, thing with Heinlein is that the older he got the more interested he became in sex yep uh, it's it true strikes it's it true. strikes me as he was just downright sexually frustrated <laughs> well and he was married too so i'm not sure uh what was going on or there. he had a vivid fantasy life yeah, but yeah, he was libertarian. He was very right wing. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm going to mention right now that the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be in five weeks on June the 14th, 2022. July the 14th. Ju July the 14th. Oh, did I say June? Yeah, yes. I did, didn't I? Mm -hmm. By the 14th, 2022. 